The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. Today's guests are David Montgomery and Anne B. Clay. Montgomery is a professor of geomorphology at the University of Washington and a recipient of the MacArthur Genius Grant for his contributions to our understanding of the geophysical forces that determine landscape evolution and how our use of soils and rivers has shaped civilizations past and present. Anne B. Clay is a biologist, an environmental planner, and a gardener. Clay's career spans the fields of environmental stewardship, habitat restoration, and public health. They're here today to talk about their co-authored book, The Hidden Half of Nature, The Microbial Roots of Life and Health. Welcome to Health Watch, David and Anne. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, in much of the book, you link the mistreatment of soil with the mistreatment of our gut bacteria, and conversely, your experiences rehabilitating the soil on your property in Seattle with the importance of rehabilitating the bacteria in our guts. So, so let's start with um, your experience with your garden and your, your property in Seattle and, and what you learned about uh, the soil in, in your attempts to rehabilitate it. Boy, well, you know... Um... I had been working on a book that was sort of backwards looking in terms of uh, the way people had treated soil and civilizations past and how that had uh, limited the lifespan of civilizations. And Anne, who's a, a major gardener, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, was busily restoring the, the soil in our yard while I, it, while I was writing that book and looking at what she was able to do in terms of bringing our soil back to life, uh, founded on kickstarting the microbial life and how that uh, fostered the the health and uh, explosion of life above ground really opened my eyes to seeing um, how to solve one of the really big problems we have today of essentially restoring soil at a global level in terms of the, the importance of the microbial life in it. And that essentially started us down this path that uh, led us into investigating the microbial world and eventually led us uh, all the way back around to the world of the inner soil of the human gut. Well, I believe, David, that you've, you wrote a book called Dirt, correct? Uh, this is correct, yes. Yeah, so so what is the difference between dirt and soil? Uh, maybe obvious to some of our gardening listeners. Yeah, well, you have to be very careful uh, not to call soil dirt to most soil scientists because um, soil is really a lot more than dirt. It, it's the, the interface between the, the sort of dead world, sterile world of geology and the living world of biology. And it's, um, you know, healthy, fertile soil is a mix of uh, mineral matter, the geological part, of course, uh, living organisms, microorganisms and, and macroorganisms, and also, importantly, organisms that used to be alive, organic matter, dead things, uh, things that uh, microbial life in the soil recycles back into the raw materials that, that essentially help fuel the growth of new life. And do we have you on the line as well? Yes, hello. Hi, uh, welcome to Health Watch. Uh, can you we're talking a little bit about uh your attempts to rehabilitate the soil on your property uh, as the gardener in the family. Tell us a little bit about that process for you. Sure. Well, uh we had uh decided that we wanted a garden and we cleared everything off of our lot except for the house. And then um we took a look around us and we're looking at the soil, and we have the plants all set out, and one thing led to another. We dug holes. We were sort of thwarted by what we found, and 
I would say, sort of a, a moment of panic uh, set in. And I thought, I think this, this soil needs organic matter. Where can we get it? Where can we get it fast? And where can we get it cheap? And I began looking around the neighborhood, made friends with a neighbor who had a bunch of oak trees, collected leaves from him. We've got a couple coffee shops around here, collected coffee grounds. And then, of course, every time an arborist was in the neighborhood, I would beg them for wood chips. And so that was sort of the journey on, on how we started with getting uh, organic matter back into our soil. And I think the most amazing thing about it was that within a short time, maybe by the next growing season, we began to see just the minutest accumulation of uh, a sort of a new layer of topsoil forming. And, and do you, too, see a parallel between what you mentioned in the book is a, a remarkably quick regeneration of the soil. When you did some some things over several years, it, it came back relatively quickly. Do you do you see a parallel in human health? Is it is it as easy to restore a a, a poor gut bacterial uh, ecology back to a vibrant one? Well, I, I think there's some uh, there's some good evidence that that can happen and. Uh, Fecal transplants, you know, hit the news several years ago, and it was pretty amazing what kinds of turnarounds uh, people made who had, had been suffering from pretty horrendous and intractable gut infections for, you know, long time periods. And then they get a fecal transplant, and in a matter of hours, if not the, on the order of several days, they're feeling better. So there's definitely something something to that. Uh, I think uh, I think that's going to be something really interesting to continue to follow. Uh, not only fecal transplants, but how we can change the ecosystem in our gut through the foods that we eat too. Yeah, and I, I noticed big changes in my own health after we. Um... We changed our diet a few years back as well, sort of as we were looking into this and as a result of some uh, a medical issue that Ann was having. And I, my diet changed along with hers, and I was really impressed with over the course of, of months, not, not sort of days or hours, but over the course of months, how some you know, long-term chronic health problems I'd been having uh, really kind of cleared up in terms of um, uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, um, uh, acid reflux. I dropped a lot of weight. And I think that the idea that what we feed our gut microbiome has uh, direct influences on, on the kinds of metabolites and, and um, um, molecules that they make and how that interfaces with our own immune system and health is an area of science that you know, a lot of the mechanisms are being connected now. And I, I think there's some pretty strong basis to uh, argue that one could see some fairly rapid in terms of... Um, well, some fairly rapid improvements or responses to some health conditions, but the even bigger message may be in terms of uh, preventative medicine, essentially in terms of the benefit of a of a diet that feeds the the, the constructive beneficial microbes in one's microbiome. So, so historically speaking, uh, the the bacteria that we focused on are the ones that that harm us. The the microbes that were discovered that were harming crops, or the infectious diseases that people were getting. Those are invisible, uh, as well as the beneficial bacteria. But do you think we didn't focus on the beneficial bacteria in the soil and in the body because uh, they weren't doing anything that we could see? 
I think with the really one there were sort of two parallel problems one in the 19th century people did a pretty good job of establishing the role that certain pathogens play in triggering certain diseases and the whole idea of germ theory that you know you could look at the the cause of diseases as as rooted in particular um, microorganisms was very well established and for things like cholera and polio you know that, that that was established for good reason it worked those are true pathogens um, but we didn't really have the the technology to study the role of a lot of the beneficial microorganisms, and in particular, the sort of what you might think of as community ecology of microbes. They're, they're hard to study. They're, they're invisible. Um, they don't have their morphologic differences, their shapes and form. If you do have a microscope, don't always translate into you know what they're able to do the way it does with you know you can look at, at a shrub versus a tree and get some ideas of the kind of environments they may be in. Um, so it's only been in the last few decades that we've had the ability to really get in and understand the mechanisms behind how some of the, the beneficial microorganisms work. And people, of course, had ideas about this in the early 20th century in terms of organic farming and gardening, but lacking knowledge of how to um, uh, identify the mechanisms and sort of connect the scientific dots, if you will, they didn't make a lot of progress. And in terms, and, and Anne can, can probably elaborate on this, but in terms of the human health area, um, a lot of those connections have only very recently been recognized. In case you just tuned in, we're talking today to authors David Montgomery and Anne B. Clay about their co-written book, The Hidden Half of Nature, The Microbial Roots of Life and Health. Well, you mentioned um, that you changed your diet, both of you, uh, based on a, a health diagnosis that Anne received. Tell us a little bit about... Um, the cancer diagnosis in relationship to this exploration of, of microbial life, uh, both in, in, in the body and in the garden? Yeah. So we had been going along uh, restoring our soil, adding organic matter, looking into everything that microorganisms in the soil do and their connections to plant health and plant defense. And so we thought, this is pretty neat these microorganisms and what they can do. And then I discovered that I had cervical cancer. And I began to read up not just on cervical cancer, but on all kinds of other cancers. That, that's what happens, at least in my case, um, with a cancer diagnosis. I was floored by it. I wanted to learn more about it. And I certainly wanted to try and do anything that I could to um, not get any cancer again and to deal with the cancer that I had. So what's interesting about cervical cancer is that it happens to be caused by a microbe, by a virus. And uh, about 20% uh, of all cancers do have some, uh, some connection to uh, a bacterium or virus or, or some other kind of microbe. So all of a sudden, we see this flip side of the microbial world that really wasn't so neat. And, and, and so this, begins to, uh, this began to broaden our thinking and, and help us see that the microbial world, you know, it's not black, it's not white. There are many shades of gray in there and that what it seems uh, what seems to happen in the microbial world is that it all depends on context. And f for Dave and I, with training and education in the natural and physical sciences, context to us means habitat and it means environment. 
and so um, we began, well, I, so I began to think a lot more about diet because there's many different kinds of cancers, um, and some do have a close association with diet. And so I thought, well, I may not be able to change what kind of a microbe I have, but I can certainly change my diet. And so that was, that was really kind of the turning point, was looking a little more into some of these uh, causal linkages between diet and microbiome. And it, in a nutshell, it's, it's kind of like this. We have our diets and we eat them, and depending on what that diet is, these, you know, our, our tiny personal alchemists way down deep in our colon will either make compounds that are good for us or they will make compounds that are not good for us. And so I wanted to focus our diet on the types of foods that, at least as much as we could, could research and learn about, were the types of foods that were going to give our microbiome uh, sort of, you know, the fuel to create the things that are good for us. And, and namely, one of the most important ones was high-fiber plant foods. Is that right? That, yes, that's exactly right. And when you think about it, it, it sort of makes sense. You look all across the planet, and much of the biomass on the planet is vegetation. It's plant matter. And microbes need things to eat. And so wherever they are, be that, you know, in the soil in the ground or the soil of our inner gut, um, they're eating plant organic matter. There just isn't, there just isn't enough, um, you know, animal protein around, and they're, they're there hasn't been, you know, throughout human history in terms of how much we incorporate into our diet anyway. Um, plants just sit there on the ground. They've always been an easy food source for us to, to dig up or strip a leaf off something or pluck a fruit off a, a tree or something like that. And so I think there's been a long association between the microbial world and plant matter and sort of that parallel universe is, is also happening uh, inside of our digestive tracts. Well, you mentioned that 20% of cancers have some sort of uh, causative connection to a microbe, but I would imagine that other cancers, uh, prevention of them or susceptibility to them may play, there may be some connection between what bacteria we have and how, how abundant they are based on their interplay with the immune system. Is that something that you explore in, in the book as well? Um, yeah, not, not specifically in a, um, in, in the context of cancer, but there, there's, a, you know, there's a ton of research going on in the microbiome field. And one of the really interesting findings was, um, from a guy down in Caltech who has been looking at this bacterium called Bacteroides fragilis. And this bacterium is, was sort of odd. It was sort of hunkered down in the mucosal lining of um, their, the mice that they were studying. And they're wondering, you know, what, what is this thing, what is this, what is B. fragilis doing down there? And this is where, you know, technology comes in and the mechanisms that Dave talked about. And what it turns out is that Bacteroides fragilis is having this constant, constant chemical uh, conversation with immune cells that are clustered just on the outside of the gut wall. And what it appears is that Bacteroides fragilis and probably other, uh, other bacteria, possibly other microbes, are 
communicating with our immune cells. They're, they're teeing up the type of immune cells that quell inflammation. Um, and perhaps when you don't have enough of uh, these types of bacteria, it appears that the other types of immune cells, those that cause inflammation, are sort of running, running amok. And so there's, that's where this, this communication between the immune system and your microbiome um, really sort of, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. You need, you need just the right kinds and just enough to keep your immune system um, dialed into the appropriate level of inflammation, which might be a lot if you um, have cancer or the flu or are battling some pathogen. But other times you need to dial that down because everything's fine. There's nothing, nothing the immune system needs to get fired up about. So this interplay, with, you know, Bacteroides fragilis is just one example, but, but there are a number of other um, a number of other microbes, and it's probably true that it's not just individual species. It's probably communities or collections of microbes. Well, that makes me think of the research around antibiotic use and breast cancer risk. And, and right now, that's just a correlation, not a causation that's been established. But it's a dose-dependent one where they've looked at thousands of breast cancer survivors with their use of antibiotics and the 25% that have used the most antibiotics had way more, uh, there was way more risk for people to develop breast cancer than the people who um, were the lowest use of antibiotics. And you wonder if some of that research will, will, um, will sort itself out over time. Oh, yeah. There's, there's uh, you know, you, you can open up any sort of cancer research journal and uh, the microbiome field is very active there as well. And what what you just um, alluded to, is it causal or is it correlative, is, is still to be worked out. But one thing that looks like, you know, it is clear for sure uh, in looking, you know, uh, dissecting tumors and looking at cancerous tissue, the microbiome of the, the cancer itself is very different than normal healthy tissue. The question is, was it like that before the cancer or did that happen after the cancer? So... I think um, there's a number of problems with antibiotics, but, you know, sort of in the big picture is that we disrupt our microbiomes too much and we don't, we simply don't know um, what's happening. Is eating more high fiber plant foods uh, the main way to rehabilitate the bacteria that we want to be growing? It sounds it, it sounds to us like that is the case. Um, there's been a number of studies. I remember one um, from just last year where they it was a small sample size, but nonetheless very interesting. They recruited a group of volunteers, including one lifelong vegetarian, and put them on um, sort of the typical Western diet, and then on a plant-based diet. The vegetarian had to go onto the Western diet, and despite um, you know, lifelong uh, vegetarian diet, uh, fecal samples after, you know, I don't recall the precise number of days. It was something like, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks, and so on. Um, the microbiome shifted in, in, that, in that particular um, subject, and it shifted in everybody else who either was on the Western diet or on the vegetarian diet. So it seems that, um, it seems that 
a plant-based diet is, or, or from that matter even, you know, if you nobody would want to do this, I wouldn't think, but, you know, shifting to a totally meat-based diet, whatever it is you're eating is shifting your microbiome one way or the other, or perhaps, you know, every which way. It, it, um, that appears to be what's happening, yeah. And, and then obviously trying to avoid antibiotics, in our livestock, but I, oh, yeah. but what about uh, pesticides in our produce? Uh, I, I know obviously they have directly potential cancer risks, but what about their actual effect on the the human um, bacterial ecology? Go ahead, Dave. Okay, um, you know there's uh, some studies that we looked at uh, in writing the book that had looked not so much at what happened to the gut bacteria of people, but uh, of the li- of livestock that um, uh, were get that had uh, uh, levels of, of glyphosate and other herbicides uh, in them, and it had it did have effects in terms of fostering the detrimental uh, micro- microbiota and um, and not doing anything good for the beneficial microbiota, and I think that's sort of the the sort of the broad take home message of the whole uh, this whole sort of revolution in seeing that the, some of the microbes that we've long treated as germs are actually integral parts of our own of our own health and the, the health of our crops and of getting healthy food from crops to people that the sort of the go-to reliance on broad-spectrum biocides that we've gone to in both agriculture and medicine over the last century um, really has had the unintended consequence of favoring some of the organisms uh, or, or uh, compositions of our internal microbiota or the microbiota around the roots of plants in the, in the rhizosphere um, uh, that it's been favoring uh, not the species that really want to have there that that we co-evolved with and that benefit us and that benefit plants and that that sort of change in perspective is a, is a whole different way of looking at it and I think that there's going to be um, a fair amount of work done to try and tease out the causation versus uh, correlation issue that you guys were talking about um, over the next decade or two but if you step back from it and kind of go, well, what's the right strategy for actually cultivating the beneficial microbes? Um, it, turn, it sort of boils down to what you eat, what you provide your um, gut microbiota to, to work with, what the raw materials that they have to work with, because what you eat is what they eat. And the same general principle holds true in the agricultural world in terms of what we feed our soils, whether we feed them a diet rich in organic matter through, say, cover cropping and and agricultural methods that it reincorporate a lot of organic matter into the soil, or whether we do um, biocide and, um, and fertilizer-intensive agriculture that tends to take out the beneficial microbes and for which you could still grow a crop, but not necessarily with the same nutrient density and probably not for the same duration, particularly as we move into an era when fertilizers are going to be start becoming more expensive as, as energy considerations kick in. Well, your, your book, the, the Hidden Half of Nature, also s- sort of raises a philosophical question also about the nature of, of self. Uh, since we have 10 times as many bacterial cells in our bodies than actual human cells, in a weird way, we're, all, we're more other than self. Yeah, we're. I think we put it something like we're we're each a tribe of trillions. Uh, which you know, when when Anne started restoring the the, the soil and the life in our garden, um, we sort of. I don't think either of us really thought that 
if you followed that out and where it all led us would lead us to sort of a different view of both nature and ourselves. But that's really what happened. And um, this idea that, you know, we may be sort of a trellis for um, for microbial life and that we have been as long as we have been a species and, and that we co-evolved with these invisible hidden actors that are some of our, our best allies is really a whole different way of looking at ourselves and our relationship to nature. And of course, that spills over into what makes sense for agricultural and medical practices. And you're also, when when you're relating rehabilitating the soil and, that, and just making the decision to do that, um, making new community connections with a neighbor for wood chips or a new bit or a business for coffee grounds, uh, that community building is a sense like a way of reaching out to the other in order to benefit the self. So it's benefiting the community and at the same time as it's benefiting uh, your own property. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Um, any any research on the horizon that has both of you uh, particularly excited about? Well, one thing I've been doing for the last uh, six months is to actually go around to visit farms around the world and look at uh, places where people are putting some of these principles into practice in terms of uh, restoring soil. And um, I'm in the middle of working on a new book that will explore those themes. Um, that, But it seems like some very simple ideas uh, around this, the, the one we put forward in the hidden half of cultivating the beneficial microbes actually work for restoring soil and enhancing fertility and productivity from small farms in Ghana to really large uh, um, operations in the, the Dakotas in North America. Uh, of course, the, pr- the practices that you would do on a small versus a large farm are different, but the principles um, really work. So I think we're both pretty excited about uh, what it may mean for putting some of these, princ- these ideas and principles into practice that are coming out of this whole community of microbiome research that, um, you know, as a geologist myself and Anna's a biologist, we've kind of peered into to try and see what we can learn um, uh, uh, and gather from that. Yeah. And is there a website you could point people to or any Internet resource associated with the book? Uh, let's see. We... We uh, have just put up a, a website at uh, dig2, and it's the number two, dig2grow.com. And that is an excellent suggestion uh, for us to get a resource list up there. So give us a week or so, maybe even just a few days, because there are some, uh, some, there's definitely some things that we can put up there for people who are maybe new to this and want to learn more about their microbiome. Well, um, unfortunately, I'll have to, I have to cut you off. We're out of, we're out of time, but it okay. was great having you both on Health Watch today. Thank you very much. We enjoyed it. Bye. Thank you. We are talking Bye. today to co-authors David Montgomery and Ambie Clay about their book, The Hidden Half of Nature, The Microbial Roots of Life and Health. And uh, if you are interested in more, they're coming to Powell's in December. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine. <laughs> 